everybody. Welcome back. I hope that we'll get in a couple of weeks in a row here. I've been off and on quite a bit, but I am super glad to be here tonight. I'm just letting Carrie in. And um, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Um, we are going to, hi, Carrie, how are you? We're going to start chapter three. Hi, Javi. Good to see you. You too. Um, and then we will, we'll go from there. Oh, I'm like, why is it so dark in here? My light's not off. How was Montreal? It was good. It was good. Uh, thank God. Long trip home, but we made it back. <laughs> thank God. Um, okay. So what we finished off last class talking about was the, what was the point of fasting. Why, like we know from all the discussions we've had previously is that fasting is not part of the atonement process, right? You do not at all need to fast to atone for any sin, not for transgression, not for um, a lack of doing a positive commandment, right? So, so fasting is not really part of the picture. So why So why do we always hear so much about fasting in connection to repentance? And why, you know, not that long ago, did, did people really do that? And so we said last class is that fasting is like this extra special gift that we're gifting God because, because we want such a loving close relationship with God we like we're not really satisfied with just being forgiven right because we talked about last time like you could be forgiven but still never want to see that person again right you do you forgive them with all your heart but it doesn't mean you're going to go and want to hang out with them right so but that's not the kind of relationship we want with Hashem we want to have a close relationship with Hashem we want God to want to hang out with us right? So we're giving this additional gift that we're giving to God, and it comes in the form of fasting. Um, why? Because we are giving part of ourselves, part of our flesh and blood, we're giving to Hashem. And we ended off last class that actually God reciprocates with this extra special untouched light that he gives back to us when we're fasting, okay? So that's all from last class. Now we're going to go into chapter three and we're going to finish this chapter. We're going to finish the topic of fasting, which I'm very excited about because it is not like super fun to teach. You know, <laughs> we've been, we've, we have a lot more fun topics. So, but as I said before, every part of Torah is important. It holds a lot of value. And even though we're going to talk about practically today, even though practically today we're not really using fasting as a tool, like it still holds a lot of value to understand like what that process is and what we can do instead and and why is it, why was it a thing and what, and it's still a thing, we just do it differently and how, you know, how nuanced and how layered our relationship with Hashem really is, right? It's never just boom, bang, simple, one, two, three. Of course, it's our, our relationship with Hashem is simple in the sense that we are part of him, we want to connect with him, you know, that part. But the layers of the different levels of connection and how we get there and how we disconnect and how can we repair and how we connect, it's all very powerful. So um, so, now, so we know that last chapter, we, um, we discussed why why fasting is a thing, right? It's for that special gift. Um, and he, so we want our, basically our relationship with our king to be at its best. We don't want like good enough, right? We don't want a good enough relationship with Hashem. Okay, I did the bare basics. He forgives me. It's good enough, right? Like Good enough is a really good tool for a lot of things in our life. Like, I'm sure if you're a parent, you have to hang on to the good enough parenting, you know, because we can't always be perfect. And 
we can actually never be perfect, but we good and right. What's the enemy of good is perfect, right? There is this concept, but with God, we always want to be striving for the, the best possible relationship we can have. So we don't really want to settle for good enough. So we, so we give him a really important piece of ourselves, our sustenance, right? When we, when we fast, we're giving him some of our sustenance. So um, based on this principle, the Arizal, who was a Kabbalist in Tzfat, uh, what a 15th, 16th century, does that make sense? Something like that. Um, and he, oh, so, okay, so now that we know that fasting is a valid component to this relationship, so the Arizal takes this and he says, okay, but how do you calculate how many fasts to do for what, right? And we touched upon this last week, last class a little bit, but Ariza really gives us like a clear kind of dictionary on like, okay, you forgot to light Shabbos candles, there's this, whatever. He gives us a whole like list of how many fasts to do for different um, transgressions. And you'll see, it's important because you'll see the trajectory that we go. So here he says a few examples. Last week, remember, we it, it repeats it again. We learned if you get angry, how many, you should fast 151 times. And we discussed how it's actually, and when you when you forget to pray, it's only 61 fasts. Prayer is actually one of the 613 commandments. Anger, I mean, it can fall under idolatry, it can fall under certain things, but there's no real prohibition against anger, right? But remember, this is not about real only prohibitions is about separateness from God, right? So when we're angry, angry is, is a form of, of ego, right? Usually when we're angry, it's because we're very worried and offended about how could someone do this to me or treat me this way or, right? So anger is, doesn't usually go anywhere good. So 151 fast for anger. Um, now, there and 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 so forth. There's more, and we're going to talk about more. But the there's an argument that comes, of course, right? We're Jews, of course, we're going to have arguments and disagree with concepts, right? So the argument is, what happens if someone violates the same commandment multiple times? Okay, so let's say you get angry. Shocking, right? I mean. I'm glad we do not fast nowadays. I'd be fasting for my whole life. <laughs> um, but let's say you get angry, right? So every time you get angry, it's 151 fasts. So every time you get angry, is it 151 fasts? So let's say 10 times you get angry, 10 times 151, right? So how is that sustainable? But some, some scholars maintain that Every time you transgress, it is that many fast times, however many times you did the transgression, right? Um, because, and the argument is, is that if in the times of the temple, if you transgressed the same sin multiple times, you would have to bring a sacrifice for every time you did the sin, right? So that's the argument. And the Tanya brings here um, the example, which is the example that the altar brings a lot. And, and I actually read in a, in a different Tanya translation that it was obviously uh, a big issue for the people who were learning Tanya at the time. And it still remains an issue. But for example, someone who spills seed, right? Um, emits semen for nothing. The number of fasts that the Arizal specifies for that is 84 fasts, okay? So spilling seed at 84 fasts. So if, for example, someone did that 10 or 20 times, he has to fast 10 or 20 times 84. That is a lot of fasts. Basically, someone can be fasting their entire life, right? So... That's not a halacha, though, is it? Sorry? I know it's the Arizal who said that, but 
it's not a halacha, right? It's not in the Torah. No, none of this is halacha. Remember, none of this is halacha. In no way is fasting an obligation on any, no, everybody agrees on that, right? It's not an obligation. But if we're talking about fasts, right? And we're applying fast to our service of God, then there needs to be some direction, right? So how many fasts do you do for what? But you're, the, thank you for clarifying. This is not a halacha. It's not a halacha. You can have, remember we said last class, you can have a perfectly beautiful, wholesome relationship with God without ever fasting, especially nowadays, but we'll get to that. But even back then when fasting was more common, you, it was not necessary. It was maybe more accepted. It was more, and we'll talk about why back then it was more um, kind of normal to do that. Um, but other scholars disagree, right? Because the scholars who say that you have to fast every time you do the transgression is comparing fasting to a carbon chatas, to a sin offering, right? And every time you do a sin offering, every time you do a sin, you bring a sin offering. There's a whole other group of scholars that compare fasting to the burnt offering, which we talked about. Remember, what's the burnt offering? The burnt offering is a gift. The burnt offering is what you give when you fail to do a, a positive commandment. And remember, there's no really rectification for that because it's an absence of something. You can't rectify an absence of something, right? If you forget to light Shabbos candles, there's, there's no negative energy in the world to rectify. What's wrong with not forgetting to do a positive commandment? You lost an opportunity to bring positive energy into the world, right? And we said how very important that is, but you don't bring a sin offering for that. You bring a burnt offering for that, which is like a gift, right? It's like an extra thing you do. So if you forget, if you're bringing a burnt offering, a burnt, you can, you only bring one burnt offering and for however many times you forgot, let's say you forgot to do multiple things, one burnt offering, right? So these sages compare the fasting to the burnt offering, which by the way, with what we've been learning makes a whole lot more sense, right? Because a fasting is an extra, fasting is a gift. So to me, it makes a lot more sense to compare it to a burnt offering than a sin offering. And I just had this whole argument with my husband about, about this, like why, I don't even know why, and maybe I shouldn't bring up what doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to me in, in a way to even compare fasting to a sin offering because it's not equal to that. Fasting is extra. Sin offering is, you sin, you have to bring a sin offering. There's no choices. Sin offering is halakha, right? We know fasting is extra. So why are we even comparing a sin offering to fasting? It doesn't make any sense to me. What my husband was trying to, to explain to me, but I, I don't, I didn't, uh, it didn't um, back down really. So I have to maybe do more research. He's saying, yes, we know fasting is extra and it's really compared to a burnt offering. But if we're now bringing fasting into the picture, we have to have guidelines, right? We need to have guidelines. So how many times do we fast? Some people want to compare it to a burnt offering. Some people want to compare it to a sin offering. I'm like, no, whatever. But this is where we are. To me, comparing fasting to a burnt offering is way, makes way more sense. So what happens with a burnt offering? You bring one burnt offering, right? You don't have to bring a burnt offering after burnt offering after burnt offering as a gift, right? So, so these scholars say, no, you do the sin, even if you've done the sin multiple times, Fasting the 84 times, 84 times for the one transgression is enough for all transgressions because it's an extra, right? It's a, it's a gift. It's not, you're not rectifying the sin that way. You're just trying to repair your relationship. So some scholars think that to repair the relationship, you have to do it every time. You have to fast every time. And some scholars say, no, to repair a relationship, you just need to do it once. Yes, Barbara, you have a question? Um, yes. Um, how long is a fast? So, okay, excellent question. I, I, I will double check, but to my understanding, a fast is um, from like sunrise to to nightfall. So, eating at night. That's that's my because you can't. Nobody can fast eighty four days without eating. Right. At night. That's 
right? No. So it's yeah. the day, like fasting all day. You and, and at night they would break their fast with something small and then start again the next day. Kind of like Ramadan, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but I will double check, but I'm pretty sure logically there's no such thing as fasting for 84 days without eating at all, right? So there it has to be, I think, at, at night where you would eat and then you start again in the morning. So yeah, because that we do do are like that. Sorry. Not all of them there are fasts that start in the morning and end at night. Yeah. That we do. Yeah, right even a lot of that. our fasts, right? Besides for young right. and Tishba, which are 24, 25 hours, the other fasts are from morning till till nightfall. Correct. Right. Okay. So we have these two opinions. Now we need to understand, like, okay, so who's opinion who do we go by like what do we follow remember even though this is not halacha what do we do how do we know what to do um and the it's important because the difference of opinion has a very practical ramifications like a lot of times when we have this argument in the talmud or whatever it's like okay whatever there's two opinions but this makes a very big difference from someone fasting every day of their lives basically, or to fasting a specific amount of days and that being enough because it has really big ramifications. So we wanna reconcile this argument so we know what we're actually doing. So before we answer the question, I wanna take a minute and talk about um, our present life, how it's not really conducive to such practices. In previous generations, in the time, even of the, in the time of the Tanya, it was very common practice for somebody who sinned to go to their rabbi and ask them for a penance, right? Let's say you sin and um, you do the regular tshuva process, but then afterwards you would go to the rabbi and you said, this is what I did. How do I get my relationship back to, to what I want it to be? And many times the rabbi would say either a certain amount of fasting. And another thing that was very common back then was exile. And what, it, what was exile? They would, be, they would go away from their hometown for sometimes days, months, and sometimes even years, depending on the severity of their transgression. And they wouldn't, so what does exile mean? It's like a vagabond, basically. You wouldn't sleep anywhere twice like you were always moving you would you would always like you would never sleep the same place um same night twice in one place so you were always moving around you were kind of like a beggar and you were lived in exile so that was another common practice would we would we ever do that today right that would never be something that we that is done today so um we have to we have to recognize that this is something that was very, very common. And um, the Altarabba says later on, and I'm just going to say it now, it's not, so what do, so what do people say? It's like, well, we're, we're not as, um, like our, we're, our bodies are more sensitive and we're not as, um, what's the word, um, resilient or you, we can't, we can't handle it, right? That's what most people say, why we're, we're not able to fast nowadays, but really it's actually not that. Like our bodies are at just as resilient as they were before, but what's different is that we're more pampered, okay? We're used to eating more food and more frequently. In the 1700s, 1800s, even the 1900s, it was very common for um, middle-class people to have two meals a day, right? And have and not extravagant, like not a lot of food and no snacks in the middle. Like it was actually very common for you woke up at sunrise or at dawn. And then if you like very common for your first meal to be at 11 a.m. Okay, so that was like six or seven hours after you already woke up. And then, and then you would have like an evening meal. So, and then some, and, and if you were poor, maybe not even that, maybe one meal a day. So people were used to eating way less. 
And I found this so fascinating because like it really resonates. It's like, it's not that we're not as strong because you can argue like people died way earlier than they do now. Like we are healthy, right? We are healthy, we're strong, we're resilient. We take care of our bodies. So why don't we fast? Like, why is fasting not a thing for us? It's because we're not the lifestyle we live, live anymore. Even people who are have less money or, or struggling, most people still can get by with three meals a day and we eat more in general and we're used to eating more and our bodies are conditioned to eating more. So when you're used to eating one or two meals a day and they're pretty basic and you're not eating a lot anyway, fasting is not such an intense thing. I mean, it's hard and it makes your life harder, but it's, it's way more doable when you compare it to how we live and how drastic of a change it is for our bodies to all of a sudden start fasting. And I have a personal example for this. I actually just thought of I thought about it. But um, when my husband and I first got married, we did a, um, my husband was a head counselor or director of an overnight camp in Russia, Moscow, Russia. And it was a three week overnight camp. And I, we had just gotten married like three months before. Not a smart idea to do as a newlywed, let me just say. Um, and we went to camp and a Russian camp, an hour outside of Moscow, like the food was not okay. Not okay. And I barely ate. Like literally, like I was, I was like, this is, this is disgusting. Like I'm not eating this. And I was there for three weeks and I really ate a frack. I mean, obviously I ate, but like I ate a fraction of what I was used to. I really didn't eat a lot. And we were there for um, Tisha B'Av, I think. It was either Shavasar Bratamas or Tisha B'Av. And the, by the way, because of where, you know, where it is, like the fast wasn't over till midnight. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. It was over to midnight. And it was a really long fast. And it was, it was like, I was like, I was worried. I was like, how, was, how am I going to fast till midnight because the day before when you start later it doesn't I mean I don't eat midnight the night before anyway so it was just like a really long fast and I, I always tell people I was amazed I was like it was my easiest fast ever why because I hardly ate anyway so what was the big deal right like what so I I I I didn't eat the three little pieces of chocolate that I ate a day like okay like so it just goes to show, it just proves the point that I'm trying to make is if you're conditioned to eating less, fasting is not as big of a deal as is nowadays when, thank God, we live with more abundance, our, we feed our bodies way more. I mean, there's arguments to say, obviously, that we should be eating way less. It's not healthy how much we eat, but, but we do. And our bodies, and it's accepted about how much we eat nowadays. And so so the expectation of us fasting for a, to as part of our relationship with God is not the same anymore. We do we do this in other ways, and we're going to learn what we do instead. So it's not like this is a concept that we just ignore, because this extra gift to God is definitely something that we want to ha have part of our as part of our relationship. It's just we have other ways of doing that. Okay, so that's just a side little point. So how do we? Um, any questions before I keep going? Nope, we're good. Okay, so how do we reconcile the, the argument? Are we fasting every time we transgress the same? Remember, it's for the same sin. Every time we do the same sin, we should have to do it just for being idiots, right? But this is this is God's fault. He puts us in this world and he puts temptations and we don't have, sometimes have self-control. So that's our problem. But do we fast every single time we transgress the same sin or is one time enough? And so the, the actual ruling is a compromise between the two. It's not either one. It is um, basically if you're sinning the same sin multiple times, it's a series of three times the fast is recommended. Okay, so the high, if you sin once, you do it once. Um, but if you're sinning multiple times for the same sin, three times is as many times as you're going to do it. 
Okay, so going back to our um, transgression of spilling seed, right? So if somebody were to spill seed multiple times, the most that he would fast is 84 times three. And that I believe is, I think it says here 252 or something. Yeah, 252 times. Okay, that's a lot of fasts. That's almost a year. <laughs> but but that's the most, you're never gonna go over three times the fast. That's in his lifetime? In his lifetime. In his lifetime? So when does he do it? Like regularly, every day? So that's, that's, fed, a or... I, that is a very good question, which I actually wanted to ask before, but I didn't have a chance, but I'm gonna write it down now. Okay, so let's say you you transgress the same sin multiple times, right? And then you go to your rabbi and he's like, okay, you need to fast 252 fasts as uh, repentance or as part of your connection to Hashem um, for the many times did it. But I don't know what happens if after you do the fast and you do it again. Like what happens if you do it again after you fasted the three times? My hope and prayer is that after fasting that many times for the sin, you are going to stay far away from that sin, right? If nothing motivates you to stop doing the thing, I don't know what to say. But my if question is- If you have to fast 252 times for doing a certain sin multiple times, do you think you're going to do it again after that? I wouldn't do it again after two times. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it again after one time. Like yeah. 84 fasts, depending on what you're doing, right? Even I don't know, even one day of fasting is enough for me. But um but so but we haven't been teenage boys. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right. This is for that one particular sin, but we can all find sins that we do over and over again. I have them. Right. I mean, we all have them, right? Like we just have a mental block against certain things that we either don't feel are important or the temptation is too much, or we don't have self-control or we don't know enough, right? All those things. So first of all, I don't know. So this is, an, we're not going to turn this discussion into spilling seed, but as a teen, I don't know how responsible teenagers at that age are as opposed to like grown adults who have more tools right you get what i'm saying so even though they're still over bar mitzvah and they're responsible for their actions i think there is it's it's a continuum right it's it's a spectrum and i don't think god or any rabbi is going to be judging a young child who's still figuring out his body and his life and his whatever to a grown adult who has tools, who knows more, who knows better, right? So I think there's a, definitely a difference between the two. Um, and as and with any sin with a young with a young person, right? And by the way, it's interesting because I had a we had a situation, um, and for privacy, I'm not going to say it all like the whole story. But one of my children did something um, that should have like at that age under bar bar mitzvah but still should have known better and so we asked and it was like a big it was a big deal think nothing to do with spilling seed thank god but it was a big deal but so my husband and i asked our mentor like what do what do we do like this is a big deal and he was amazing and he said first of all like you need to understand why your child did that and change like make sure that he he or she does not feel the need to do that again right that's on you and second of all you need to uh, you need to rectify that sin as his parents right not him he's not responsible yet as his parents you need to do something to atone for for that process so that's just an example of um you know responsibility and like you know knowing like where where responsibility lies and how and what age and kids and what they're what they're capable of total digression but important nonetheless so 
But how is the fasting done? The 252 fasts, do they have to be done consecutively every day like that or throughout their lifetime? I love that question. My initial um, assumption was that they need to be done consecutively. But now that you're asking the question, I don't know. I'm going to ask. Consecutively or? Because this is really, really hard. Really hard. Oh, yeah. But remember, we're not doing this nowadays. I know, but still just but thinking yeah, about you, it. You feel so for the previous generations, right? Like, oh, my God. I when I read this, I'm like, thank God I do not have that responsibility. Anymore. But this is a halacha. No. No, fasting the 252 times because of the type of sin that you did? No, it doesn't. No, right. It's, again, we need to reiterate the atonement for that sin is nothing to do with fasting. It's if you want to do that extra connection, you want to repair that relationship to where it was before. You want to have an extra connection to God. Now, some, remember we learned a few classes ago that some people made this part of their atonement process, but halachically not required. Never. Fasting is never required as a halacha. Good it is know. extra. Now, some people took it on as part of their atonement process, but that was on them. That is, it's not a halacha, a halacha need or necessity to fast for atonement. Remember, what is the basic tenet of atonement? Back to beginning, beginning. What's the basic tenet of atonement? Right? Oh, it's looking to the future, right? It's, it's committing to not doing it again and changing your behavior oh. in the future. That's in short, if you wanted to describe atonement, that's the basics of atonement. Why? Because we don't want, like, we don't, the message is we don't dwell on the past, right? We don't harp on the past. We want to go forward. Now, after you understand what the basics of atonement is, it doesn't mean there's more processes and there's more things that needs to be done. But if you wanted to do basic, 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 all you have to do is commit to changing your lifestyle to the, in the future. So fasting is definitely not a necessity. Even as we're delving into these fasts, we have to make sure that we understand that it's not a necessity. Okay? So why three times, right? It's like, it's not here and not there. If we go by the carbon isla from the burnt offering, it's one time. If we go... That it's according to the sin offering it's every time right so where does three come in and this is where i really really connected with this um a lot because we actually use this concept in many different ways um the power of three right and i'm sure you've heard of it and but we will talk about it here um, in connection to fast and so forth so tanya gives an example when you get a garment dirty the first time same garment Remember, it's not different garments. If you get a garment dirty the first time, it makes a small stain, right? And you can usually repair it and it's pretty as good as new, not perfect, but pretty good, right? The second time, the stain is gonna penetrate a little further and then it's harder to clean, okay? The third time, the stain penetrates through and through and causes a kind of permanent or discoloration of the garment. It's kind of hard to salvage your garment after you've stained it multiple times, okay? Nowadays, we have very good laundering, you know, tools, but imagine if we were just basic laundry, you know, and we're not, we don't have all these magical powers and potions. So three times your garment's not going to be the same, right? So similar, similarly, when a person sins once, the flaw affects you superficially, right? It's a superficial stain and you can pretty much repair it without too much trouble. Second time he sins, the blemish penetrates to a greater degree, right? The third time the sin penetrates into your essence, okay? So, even, listen to this, 
even if he were to commit the sin fourth or fifth or sixth times, it's not changing very much because your essence is already affected. So your essence has already been altered. So, okay, more, more, more. At that point, it's kind of like, who cares? You know, like it's, it's, it's already, the essence of you is already altered. So how do we undo that, right? And get yourself back to the purity of your former state is you fast three times to get yourself back to your original connection. So basically what the Tanya is saying, what the altar is saying is that it takes three times for something to be really ingrained and, effect and effective, right? So, and after the third time, yes, are there, are there more ramifications? Yes, you still need to atone. But if you're talking about this extra special act that you want to do towards God, three times is enough. Because after the third time you sin, it's really the same. And if so, ha have any of you heard of three times a chazaka? Like three times is strength. So um, there's this concept, if you take it to the flip side, right? Like if you want to make something a habit and if you want to make something um, kind of like a standing obligation, there's a concept that if you do something three times, then it becomes a part of you and also it becomes an obligation. So let's say you decide that you're gonna wash Nagovasa, you're gonna wash your hands every morning, right? First time you do it, great. Second time you do it, great. Third time you do it, it's already a habit. It's already a pattern, right? And because it's a pattern, you continue to do it every day because it becomes a pattern. And how much more so you're actually kind of committing and obligating yourself to doing it because you did it three times. It's a commitment. Right? What? It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Once you do it, and then exactly. you can't Once regret. You do something three times, it's a commitment. Then it becomes a sin if you don't do it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we always say careful. It's like, careful, if you do that three times, are you sure? Right? Are you sure you want to do that? Um, but this is, so we're taking this concept and flipping it the opposite way, right? Sinning has the same effect. If you sin once with the same, if you sin once, fine. Superficial stain. You sin twice with the same thing, getting a little deeper. You sin three times with the same thing, now it's in your essence. And to, to undo that, you just need three times. More you don't need. Does it make sense? You have a question? When you say, yes, when you say to undo that, you just do three times. Three times what? Three times, however many fasts is required for that particular sin. So let's say we said, if you neglect prayer, right? You forget to pray one day, it's 62 fasts or something. So let's say you forget to pray three times. That's 62 times three. Can I ask you something? Sure. It's the, it sounds kind of ridiculous. The fast. 62 fasts for the why, one. Why 62? Is there, are you asking? Not why, can't? not why, but... But isn't that like a ridiculous amount of fasting? It's, 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 I want to say yes, I get it. And I also like understand the concept. Remember, this is extra, right? So if you really, really, really want that relationship with God and you want that gift in return of that unadulterated never before touched light of God, you got to work for it really hard. You don't have to, right? You don't, like, it's not an obligation. By no means would this be a normal, like, obligation. God would never command us to do this as a basic part of our relationship. Then it's really ridiculous. It would never happen. But if you're looking to go above and beyond, if you're looking to have this really, really deep, extra special relationship, then it really, it really takes the effort. It takes the work. If you want to be a tzaddik. 
Yeah, by the way, most people who take on these fasts are on a very high level, even back then, right? Even someone who would, it would be on their radar to even ask for a penance, right? We're not doing that nowadays, right? Oh, I see how, like, I, you do the basic atonement and then you're like, great, I'm done, right? We're not going after we atone and say, coming to our rabbis and saying, what's our penance? We need penance, we need penance. We're not doing that. Most people are not doing that. But there are people who are very, 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 very sensitive and in tune with their relationship. And they're doing that, right? And, and yes, it was more common back in the day, especially because fasting was not that big of a deal back then. Also, back then, fasting was not that big of a deal. So if you tell someone fast for three days, you're like, well, I do that anyway. I hardly have food, right? So you got to make it painful, Right, you got to make it that it's hard. And back then, fasting was not as hard as as it is now. So it, the numbers to us now, the numbers sound insane. At what point does it become sadistic? Well, we're going to address that. Okay. We're going to address that. On point. Um, okay. So yeah. So we know. So we now understand. We have a compromise between the two. We were, we're going to fast three times the most, three times the amount of numbers that you need for that particular sin. Doesn't go more than that. Okay. Um, now there's another point that the Altarab is going to make about previous generations. So number one, they were, the reason why this makes more sense and it doesn't make sense to us now is number one, they were accustomed to fasting, Right. And when they did these fasts, it didn't make a huge impact on their physical or mental health. It impacted them. It and of course it impacted them, but not in the same way it did today. Furthermore, this is very fascinating. The main service of the early generations to God was Torah study. The main way that people served God back in the day was Torah study. While today, the main way we serve God is acts of service, right? Charity, physical, we, we're much more physical in our service of God than they were back then, okay? So when you fast and you're already accustomed to eating less and you're fasting, you can still be uh, kind of sedentary, whatever, like stay in one place and store a study and it doesn't, and you could still serve God, right? Because you don't need that much energy to study Torah. But nowadays, when the crux of our service of God is physical work, fasting would really take a toll. Fasting would really affect our service. And, and that would be counterproductive. If we're going to fast, so then we become too weak and incapable of serving God in the way that we usually do, then that becomes a moot point. God doesn't want that. It actually, it says that if you do that, you're a sinner. If you fast at the expense of your physical and mental health and at the expense of your service of God, nobody wants it. Even, and that applied even back then. So if, let's say even 200 years ago, if somebody was ill or somebody was um, more weak in nature or didn't have the vitality, they were not allowed to fast. It's only someone who's really robust and it can really handle it and still do their regular service was fasting acceptable. If you took on fasting because you want to be hot, a hot shot and you want, your, you want to have this amazing extra relationship with Hashem, but meanwhile, you're not able to do your regular service of God. There's no point to that. And that's where you have to really know yourself and know like, I'm not capable of fasting. I'm not capable of doing this without it affecting my day-to-day -day service and my day-to-day -day life and my physical and mental health. Does that make sense? So to answer your question, when does it become crazy? You have to, you have to be smart. 
And I feel like even nowadays we make stupid choices when we just, we want to achieve something or we want to, you know, um, be as good or as, you know, as somebody else, not even in the spiritual world. And we push ourselves and we do things that are not good for us because, you know, our neighbors are, and then we end up suffering because we're not, we're not really in tune with what is appropriate and good for us. Isn't that part of like ego? That's hundred percent. That is when fasting is serving your ego because you, you, you want to do this thing because you think it's holy. It's only holy if you can handle it. It's only holy if you're, you're still able to maintain your regular service of God. It's only holy if you're not going to be bedridden and sick and, and, and not functional. That's not holy. That's not what God wants from us. So to answer your question, when does it become crazy in the head? You, for everyone, that's different. You have to know if you can handle it or not. You have to be honest with yourself and know that if I fast, am I going to be able to um, get up and do my regular service of God? Am I going to be get up? Am I going to be able to get up and take care of my family? Am I going to be? Am I going to be able to get up and go to work, which is just as important? And if the answer is no, then your fasting is not what God wants. Not only that, you are called a sinner. If you fast at the expense of these things, you're a sinner. Okay, so we, we, under, we have to understand nuance. We have to understand, and this is for everything in our life. We have to understand that there is no one size fits all. Judaism is not a one-size-fits-all religion. Yes, we have the basic non-negotiable things that God wants from us, but still our service is so individual and everyone has their own limitations and their own strengths and we have to be able to use those in our service of God. And if you don't know, and if you don't know like in general in your service that you have certain limitations and you don't know how that plays out in your service, Ask your rabbi, ask your mentor, ask somebody you trust, right? Because guidance is there for that purpose. If you don't want to ask for help and all of a sudden you are torturing yourself in your service, no one gains from that. And this is not only in connection to fasting. This is in connection to our service. It's not a one size fits all religion. God is in his infinite wisdom, gave us a lot of gray areas, a lot of room to find the service that, that serves us and him, that helps us serve Hashem, right? So just because you see somebody else doing this and this and this in their service of God, you don't know their backstory. You don't know their soul. You don't know anything about them. You don't know where they've been previously. You have no idea. So you should never, ever compare your service of God to somebody else's. It is like apples and oranges, more extreme than that. It's like apples and steak, right? There's, you know, like there's no, there's no common ground besides for being a Jew. So this principle will always show up, right? It's important to know who you are, what your limitations are, and how do you use your best self to serve Hashem? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If there's one thing that you go home with today, it's that. <laughs> sure. Okay. So we have a few more minutes um, before um, we're going to do our meditation. So because we're less, we're, we're less robust in the sense that we are um, just more, we're more pampered in certain areas, not in all areas, but in our physical, um, opportunities and what's available to us in this generation is way more than what they had previously. So fasting is not a tool that we're going to be using today. Okay. Um, now we are going to talk about later on and we don't we're not going to get to it today um and i actually will i'll give you a little sneak peek of it today during our meditation but we're we're not gonna know exactly what to do instead 
but we know the philosophy of what we're supposed to do instead. Okay. So we only fast if we know, I mean, this is for the, um, the, the previous generations only fast. If you, if you know that it's not going to impede on your service of Hashem, excuse me. I, I don't know if anyone else is suffering from terrible allergies this season, but it's a disaster. I don't know what to say. Um, okay. So, um, where, where do we want to end off with? No, no Jew can claim that he has not neglected a mitzvah at all because it's impossible, especially because like we're supposed to study Torah every free second we have. Most of us are not doing that, right? So of course we are not perfect and we are always, we all, we all, have sins that we need to rectify, right? Um, but it doesn't mean that fasting, remember we have our regular, I'm gonna say it again and again, we have our regular, you know, um, schedule or our regular atonement process. We know how to do that, right? But the fasting, even if you wanna do the extra, you have to know if you um, are able to do that. So if we're going to just touch upon what we do, if we cannot fast, this applied even back then, if you couldn't fast and you still wanted to participate in this extra special gift to God, um, Rav Moshe Isserlis, who was known as the Ramah, he basically figured out the, uh, what the average meal costs, an average daily meal, which was 18 coins. So just as a fast replaces a sacrifice, remember the fasting is replacing the sacrifice. Remember how this originated. Back in the times of the temple, all you had to do was bring a carbonyla, way easier. Go bring a sacrifice, done. Your extra special relationship is, is there. We don't have a temple now, so we're all penalized and we have to fast, right? So just like the fasting replaced a sacrifice, that and that's um, food related, so too you can replace fasting with the cost of a meal. What does that mean? You give to charity what a meal would cost. So I don't have the calculations for that nowadays, but at the time of the Ramah, it was 18 coins. Okay, so in the place of food, you would give the monetary equivalent of one's daily meal to replace a fast. Okay, so basically every fast, every day that you are supposed to fast, you would give charity instead. So 18 coins per day. So if there's 252 fasts, that's, that's a 18, lot of money. <laughs> 18 coins. I don't know what that's the equivalent to nowadays, um, but 18 coins times 52. Now, that's what I was, that's what I was gonna get to before when you said like, it, it's paint like, isn't isn't it extreme to do sixty two fasts for for missing prayer? Yes, because it, it it has to be hard. So when we are replacing it with charity, like it's also a lot of money because you have to, you feel you feel the burn, right? If it was well, just yes. if it was just fifty cents, who who cares, right? It's what not, if you're not poor? A, what if you're poor and you can't spend so much? So you, you don't. don't have the money. So you don't. So you don't, you don't do this. Remember, this is extra. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a, a sneak peek during our meditation. I'm going to read something to you during our meditation that applies to our generation, that not only can we substitute our relationship with our relationship with charity, but there's a different way we go about things right now, like in our times, because remember this Tanya 
even in the Tanya's times, fasting was becoming less accepted. And that was 300 years ago. So the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe tells us, he tells us exactly what we're supposed to do in our times. Now, and that's what I'm going to tell you during meditation. Are you excited? Very. <laughs> okay, so let's do it. Perfect timing. This is where we're going to end off for today. I'm going to make a little mark. Okay, so get comfortable in your chair. You can stretch, you can wiggle, you can move around, get your blood flowing a little bit. We've been sitting here for an hour. This is gonna be my favorite part because as I, like I told you, as much as it's important to, to know what we just learned, the point of learning is practicality. So now we have to know like, how does this apply to us in a practical way? We're not fasting 62 fast every time we forget to pray. We're not doing that, okay? So what are we, what are we supposed to do? Take a deep breath. Close your eyes when you're ready. And before we even get intentional with our breath, let's just take a minute and just notice how we're feeling in our body. Any physical sensations? How are we emotionally, mentally? So important to be able to check in with our body and ask it like, okay, how are we doing right here, right now without changing anything? Can't change something before you even know how you feel, right? If there's a certain area in your body that feels like it's holding some tension or is uncomfortable or is painful or is stressed, try to, when we go to our breath, breathe through that area to see if you can open it up and relax and bring some ease to it. So we're gonna do four rounds of um, some intentional breath, okay? So inhale. When we inhale, we want to think about opening up our heart center and opening ourselves up to receive. Right? When, you, like, when you physically open yourself up, you actually open yourself spiritually and mentally as well. And when we exhale, big, deep exhale, almost let your shoulders drop. You want to feel that grounding and you want to let go of anything that's not serving you. Okay, so we're going to do that four times and try to be intentional with your breath with your inhale and your exhale. They can, I like to do a four count breath, but you could do whatever's comfortable for you. Okay, so inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. One more time. You can continue if you if you want to. Hopefully we feel a little bit more open and a little bit more grounded. And I'm gonna read to you the Hasidic thought that I really want you to think about and go home with. So this is from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a quote from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It is not advisable to take upon oneself extra fasts in addition to those which are already in the calendar, right? We have fasts that we do, not for atoning for sin, but for commemoration, right? This is based on the words of the Alter Rebbe. One of the reasons which he mentions is this connection is that the generations have weakened and are no longer fit to have extra fasts. Obviously, my suggestion to you, therefore, is valid even now. The would-be resolution to undertake a fast should be changed to a resolution 
to serve God with an extra measure of joy and to endeavor to spread good influence in the environment in this direction. Okay, I'm going to read that to you, the last part to you again. The would-be resolution, instead of fasting, what we're supposed to do in our generation, not even charity, which you could still do, but is to, to serve God with an extra measure of joy and to endeavor to spread good influence in the environment in this direction. If we want to foster that extra special connection to Hashem, our generation's task is to serve God with extra joy and to spread that joy wherever we can. So to, to carry what she said about what if you can't afford to give the charity, this doesn't cost anything. Everybody could do this. We all have the ability to serve God with an extra measure of joy. And that is what our generation's extra special gift to God is. Think about that. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to go home with. That is in our power. We can all do that. And it is such a powerful thing that the Lubavitcher Rebbe entrusted to us and is helping us understand and take what we're learning in Nagar Sashiva, which is important, but make it practical for us now today. Think about that for a second. How does it make you feel? Do you feel like this is something that you can practically think about and incorporate in your life? And let's close off with two more intentional breaths. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. And exhale. Let your breath return to its natural rhythm. Take a minute to just you know, orient yourself in your space. Be more aware of your surroundings. You can wiggle your fingers and your toes. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes slowly and gently. Okay, how do we feel? Was that awesome or what? right? The end was awesome. That meditation was the cherry on top. So that's, that's the message. Obviously, we're going to go back into the text next week, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the charity and, you know, the more technical stuff. But we always are going to come back to, like, what is our job today? And I think it's very powerful to know. And I think it affects the seriousness of the task that we have to serve Hashem with joy when we're comparing it to fasting and charity. It's not like a little thing, right? Like, and that's why I think it's important to know because it brings so much more value to our service of joy, knowing that it's taking place for something really, really intense. It's just as important. So learning about the fasting and learning about the charity isn't waste of time. It's giving our job and our responsibilities so much weight and so much you know importance not like oh serve god with joy whatever no serve god with joy it's so important it's so powerful it's so precious that's all okay? he wants that's all but he wants. that's what he wants that's what he wants and if, um, if you remember from our original tanya class in the first book of tanya we said yes. Everything done with joy is done better. You cannot name me one thing that you do that if you do it with joy is better. It never makes things worse. And God wants the best of us. So of course we want to serve him with joy. We don't want to serve him with attitude and uh, fine, I'll do it, right? He wants us to give us his best. And that always comes with joy. 
Plus, I don't think honestly that as hard as things can get, uh, like with God's laws and he makes things pretty hard on us, let's say, he never gives us what we can't do. Um, I agree with you, but pra practically when we're in the really hard stuff, it's hard to tap into that sometimes. We can tap into our faith, but to tap in serving God with joy, even though he's beating the heck out of us, that's hard. It is it's hard, hard. It's hard, but it's, it's not not doable. It's it not it's doable because we wouldn't it, be tasked with it if it wasn't possible. That's why fasting went off the table. Fasting isn't really possible for us anymore. But this, the joy, serving God with joy is possible. That is within reach. Okay, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. I look forward to Thank discovering you. more with you. And I have, hopefully I will answer those questions, even though they're not really practical because we're not fasting. But I think it's very interesting to know, is it consecutive fasting? Is it like, how does that work? Just for information wise, I will try to get those answers. All right. Have to, a add to, that, to add to that question, yeah. do you, if you are doing all these days of fasting, do you fast on Shabbos? Oh, very good point. I'm almost 100% sure that you're not allowed to fast on Shabbos. Right. But I will That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm almost yeah. sure. I, I really, even like Tishabav, the only fast we're allowed to fast on Shabbos is Yom Kippur. I, I really right. don't think so, but I will double check. Okay. Right. Good night, Thank everybody. You so much. Thank you for being here.